0: Hello and welcome to the In the Ring Pedigree Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Thomas Fornatal, back with you in the Brooklyn Bunker, but not for very long. The plane is booked, getting ready to head out to Lexington. We're big in Lexington, I hear. our, Our ratings are particularly strong in that town, and I always love it there. Getting ready to head out for this Keeneland meet tomorrow, but for now, in the Bunker for a very big day of podcasting. Very excited to get it kicked off A little bit later in the show, Jonathan Kinchin will be joining us and we will be interviewing Tom Ryan from SF Bloodstock. But before we get to that, we're going to bring in the other usual co-host of this show from Windstar Farm. It's Sean Tugel. Sean, how are you today?
1: Doing great, Pete, and pretty excited. Got through the September sale. Great trade, great commerce. We saw that carry over into the Timonium sale up in in maryland so that was good to see for the market it's very healthy and certainly uh, uh tom ryan i, I i'm sure will will share same sentiment uh sf bloodstock one of the biggest breeders and sellers in the, in the game had a great september sale certainly had the success last weekend of the WinStar bred bread eight rings winning the grade one out there and in, in california and stamping the second winning your end for the for the breeders cup followed by dennis's moment to uh we won there two weekends ago, so the fields are starting to shape up. The fields are drawn for the for the two big boy races coming up this weekend, so that's excited pretty excited to have old ptf come to lexington uh, just hoping you can't we'll see you next week if there's any stories of you offending anyone walking out of a bar and, you know
0: no no that's saratoga only i'm much better behaved <laughs> the, the whole rest of the year i'm much better behaved my, but, my. but you
1: haven't you haven't been to lexington yet with the new jeff Ruby's being open piano will get playing down there and, and i'm sure you will be down there with with jk at some point and what do you call him, the Prince of Keeneland? The Pilby in the and, house, uh, Jake Ballas. You never know. You get in there, the great Gatsby feeling gets going. <laughs> you have a couple Manhattans <laughs> made for you and highball glasses. And I'm sure you'll you'll keep the Southern charm while you're in Lexington.
0: I, I tend to be a little bit more genteel when I'm down there. I think it's true. Well, anything's genteel compared to Saratoga and some of those nights, uh, those, those late nights out there. But it's funny you mentioned Jeff Rubies were actually booked in there. For Friday night I wanted to give them a shout out for finding a way to accommodate us at the last minute really appreciate that obviously uh, haven't had a chance to be there yet I was curious though it does sound like one of the places to be
1: certainly it does seem like a very frequented place for for Lexingtonians Jeff Ruby's in Louisville was always the place to be after the derby sounds like and it seems like now after the sales and the football games what have you, the big events here in Lexington, they've got a great outdoor patio area and that uh, it seems to, to draw in quite the group of people from Lexington and, and I'm sure the the races will do the same and it'll be fun and, and hopping and, and a good time when for people who are looking to, uh, to carry on.
0: Carrying on is what we'll be doing. Can't wait to get down there. Can't wait to get out and back at Keeneland. I wanted to ask you, Sean, as somebody in the breeding business, what the significance of this Keeneland fall meat is? How important is it to what you do? And uh, what do you like about it?
1: Well, I mean, it ranks up there with those boutique meets throughout the year. It, it's quite special because it's twice a year. It's three weeks in the fall, three weeks in the spring. So it really, it kind of always gives you something to look forward to. And when, when one of the meets gets here, you get excited and, and you know, it's a certain point in the calendar. Uh, you know, in springtime, the summertime is right around the corner. Breeding season is kind of close to winding down with the foaling, and and so you, you know that the the light at the end of the tunnel is coming in the spring and summer. But in uh, the fall is really exciting because you know, it really starts to highlight the two-year-old scene, and both the Alcibiades and the the Futurity are both great two-turn races for two-year-olds. Uh, certainly, the the Shadwell Miles a, a great race for for the three and up division on on the turf and just a lot of you know breeders cup implications this first weekend but it's special for the breeders too you know it's 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 racing in our own backyard breeders get a chance to come out and, and see their horses that they bred and sold maybe still own run right there in front of everybody else and and that's a special moment and uh you know it's just one of those it's one of those great places when you get your picture taken at keeneland it's fun and there's always a big crowd and it, and it's, you know, it's really the heart of, of, of our sport. Um, all the best things that, that we all are in the game for really are highlighted at Keeneland, and they do a great job. And it's, it's all about the horse, and, and all of the rest of it falls in because if we didn't have the horse, none of this would exist.
0: I can't wait to get back. Super duper excited about it. We're doing some special shows for Keeneland throughout the meet. We're going to be doing some Friday specific shows. We've already got one out there for opening day. We'll be looking in depth at Sundays as well. And then, of course, the Saturdays will be getting covered on the regular late week in the Money Players podcast. I want to talk about the specific two-year-old races this weekend. But before we do that, Sean, I just wanted to ask you your opinion about as for what we know right now, favoritism in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. You mentioned Dennis's moment. You mentioned Three Rings. Which one do you think would go favorite if the race were held right now?
1: That's a great question. I, I do think Having a race over Santa Anita is going to be an advantage this year. The report you hear is, is the track is, is a little bit deeper, a little bit slower, and, and can be very tiring. So I do think having a, a, a start or several starts over that track will be an advantage. Dennison's moment has, has absolutely done nothing wrong in both of his races where the jockey stayed on uh, have been quite impressive, quite dominating. He's certainly going to have biggest test of his career when he gets to Anita, but uh on pure talent of what we've seen and and pure talent that that could take another step forward so far uh certainly dennis's moment would have to be the horse um that you'd have to circle and and you know both are by very good sires uh well-established sires that you don't have any questions whether or not they'll they'll uh, be able to go those two that two turns again consecutively and, and maybe improve a little bit more. So both great horses. And, and I do want to, I do think American theorem who ran second in the, uh, American Pharaoh, who that was his second lifetime start. That's a horse who, who has a lot of talent, who, who I've been, I, I was very impressed by his first start, very professionally came back and, uh, and ran a really good race behind, obviously a very talented eight ring. So, uh, you know, and and these young horses, with with only a couple starts to go off at, and with, and and horses that can can certainly change a lot in between uh, starts, more so than you see with maybe older handicap horses who sure. you have much more pp's to go with. Uh, American Theorem might be a horse that that sneakily could uh, could take another jump forward. Obviously, we have to see what happens this weekend in both the Futurity and the Champagne. But but American Theorem's a horse that I'm kind of excited to. to to use back and all of those uh, plays on that great – handicapping card of the Breeders' Cup.
0: Well, we're going to know so much more after this weekend for all the divisions, but particularly for these juveniles, and I think we should start on Friday taking a look at the Alcibiades, and this is a race where I have one I just can't wait to bet back from Saratoga Uh, we talked about on the show before. Alondra really made a great impression on me in the paddock and on the racetrack, and just seems like one in terms of a bloodline, in terms of the hands that she's in who's just due to improve i'm very excited to see what she's got on friday afternoon how do you see this one
1: i agree with you this has been a horse that uh has been talked about for a long time i remember seeing this filly down in ocala over the winter time uh she was a standout going by the stand when she was down in ocala uh one of those horses that goes by you said who the hell is that and then she jumped up and won for Sugar at saratoga and you know, I mean, when they win for Suge in Saratoga, they're usually pretty good. Two horses that I can think of that won were Honor Code, first time out. He obviously went on to be a grade one winner. Code of Honor won first time out, went on to be a grade one winner. When, when, when they ta- tout themselves uh, for that barn at that meet, um, usually they're pretty darn good. And um, certainly Sugar has has a great record here in his hometown of lexington at keeneland she's one i'm excited about i do uh i do think there's another philly i do think it's a great betting race uh full field something you always see at keeneland but um uh the the filled the model horse a three horse spitefulness who's coming off of the uh uh narrow defeat there i believe it, it was in the in the lassie she's sitting on the board at 21 morning line she's a horse she's a philly that i have uh Have some intrigue about their uh, stretching out around two turns. Uh, Palace Malice's last weekend had a graded stakes winner in second, and another graded stakes. And I think this Philly stretching out around two turns could be very intriguing for me out of a very talented uh, Philly there. Piccadi's uh, Phaeton.
0: Very interesting note there for one that's 20 to 1 on the morning line. We can't talk about this race without talking about the likely favorite, Perfect Alibi, who was so impressive in Saratoga, winning a pair of races, uh, the Adirondack, and then coming back and winning the Spinaway, and doing so in a race where she spent a lot of time on the rail that so many, including myself, thought was not good. I had bet Frank's Roquette in there, and it was one of those situations where with the trip, Frank's Roquette was getting and the way the stretch duel was shaping up. If I could have quadrupled my bet uh, as they were turning for home, I would have done so. And it would have made Perfect Alibi's run all the more painful when she went and just not only got by, but in the end handled the perfect trip, Frank's Roquette very easily. Perfect Alibi, certainly a valid contender to get the job done here. I just have my own preference for Alondra. Any others that you feel like talking about from this Alcibiades?
1: The, the Bernardini, a uh, very good race-filly panty raid for the Godolphin, Michael Stidham. Uh, certainly her question mark would be if she's going to take to dirt. I certainly don't see any reason why she wouldn't. So that would be that would be another filly I think you'd want to keep an eye on. But uh, I, I think, is it Alondra? Is that how we're we're pronouncing it?
0: That's what I said.
1: I would probably go a Landra, but <laughs> so uh, I mean, she she's the one. She's the one that I think uh, you know. The race goes through her. She was so impressive in Saratoga and and has been throughout uh, her her career so far. Um, don't want to take anything away from Perfect Alibi, but you know, I I would have liked to have probably seen uh, those races come back a little bit faster out of Saratoga. So um, you know. Where's, where what, is is she going to be able to move forward enough to um, to be competitive enough with the other fillies that we think are going to make that big move forward off of their last races? I, I don't know if she has another big move forward, uh, especially around two turns, uh, but but she can certainly prove me wrong.
0: I take that point. I mean, it's funny to talk about a horse with only four career starts as comparatively exposed, but that's kind of what I feel. Exposed just in the in the English form study sense of we have we have a sense of how fast she's gonna run. Maybe you believe she's gonna run faster going farther, but it very often doesn't work out that way as we know with these two year olds. Look, wouldn't be surprised to see her win at all. I'll have some bets where I have perfect alibi over Alandra. Alandra, we'll we'll get that definitive answer at some point very soon. <laughs> but uh, the other one, just for folks who who uh, are, are taking notes, Micheline. That's the one. That's the godolphin that Sean mentioned, who uh-huh. would seem to have, uh, from a breeding point of view, every reason right to handle the dirt. Bernardini and Panty Raid, as you mentioned. I mean, there shouldn't be any issues there, should there? And
1: That sounds like a good Twitter poll for you. You can go around Keeneland and and PTF and JK (laughs) like they do on Letterman. You go on and and see how they they enunciate (laughs) – Elan, long, <laughs> Let's move on, Sean. Go up, let, go up on the, go up on the, go up on the hill about uh, about one thirty in the afternoon. I bet you get some good, good footage up there. <laughs> well,
0: I'll tell you, you know we are, you know we're going to be on the hill on Saturday. We're doing an in the money tailgate. I probably should have mentioned oh that my. already. We're going to start at eleven. Are you telling me it's going to get our conditions going to be a little sloppy up there on the hill, even if even if the sun is shining over at the racecourse? Is that what you're implying?
1: Thankfully, Thankfully. Hopefully, there's no rain in sight until Sunday, so I don't think we have to worry about any any mud sliding or anything else going on there. After, uh, I'm sure I'm sure you guys have some antics up your sleeve.
0: <laughs> I was referring not to the actual meteorological conditions, if I can spit that word out, but the uh, but the, the sobriety of the patrons. I was worried you were telling me it, it was going to get a little uh, it was going to get a little rough and tumble up there, but we'll have fun. We'll we'll hang in. We'll hang in as long as we can. We'll send out on twitter our location and we want folks to come join us come and even if you're doing the races properly in the plant you don't have to come up there in the middle of the afternoon come pre-race and and uh have a beverage with us and a, a sandwich or the pretzel or whatever and
1: be, and, be genteel yeah. <laughs> and
0: be. that's the buzzword that's the buzzword for the, the byword and the buzzword for the weekend always always genteel all right speaking of saturday I don't know if we'll be back in the plant or if we'll be up on the hill when these stakes races are run. I kind of hope we'll be back in the plant. It'd be nice to get to see some of these horses close up. But we're just going to roll with the punches as far as that goes. One of the races I'm super excited about is the Futurity. And, Sean, I want to hear your thoughts on this one.
1: Yeah, well, it, it the race is another uh, full field, but is uh, uh, booked booked in by two very impressive maiden special weight winners from Saratoga, uh, Mark Cassie's tap it to win uh, on the inside draws the rail. And uh, Winstar and Team Valor's Governor Morris, uh, who won there on closing day, TD and Riding Star, uh, unfortunately, drew the 10 hole. So we're definitely going to find out if he likes to go two turns from out there. Uh, he has the speed to make, make make a good trip for himself. Would have liked to have been drawn mid pack to at least... Not, you know, take away that that possibility of being stuck five, six wide. You just never know with these two-year-olds. If a bunch of them break, it's a cavalry charge into that, that uh, first turn, and it's not very far with the mile to sixteenth uh, configuration of of keen. That first turn comes into play very quickly. So, so that's the only concern being drawn all the way out in the ten by your side. Another son of Constitution. I do think this is a horse who who will who will really appreciate the two turns. Came out of the hopeful. Was a stakes winner in Saratoga. Was competitive in the uh, in the Hopeful, which Basin obviously stamped himself as a, as a very very good horse. And we'll talk about those running lines when we get to the um, get to the Champagne. But uh, I you know looking for a horse that, that's going to like the two turns is by your side, and then look at a horse. Brendan Walsh has the street sense in this race maxfield this horse won during the first weekend of the keeneland september sale was a real buzz horse going into the race and uh ran a real banger of a race and i know there was a lot of people who who had heard about this horse going from brendan for about a week leading up to the race and got uh got a little too busy during the keeneland sale and missed playing the horse i think he was a double digit payout 10 to 1 so there's gonna be people chasing this horse too but but this horse has been, you know, if you if you're looking for, for, for a for a Kentucky horse that, that broke his maiden here in Kentucky and not coming out of Saratoga, I do think that horse is very intriguing. Obviously it's it's he's gonna be making uh, as most of these other horses are, are just maiden so far. So um, I think that's another advantage you could say that by your side could have is he could make a move forward going two turns and he has a couple more races under his belt than some of the others. Um, so he can probably overcome maybe some more some of the unfavorable racing conditions, having maybe f- been through them once. But um, certainly the two on the, the the rail on the outside are the two that I think were were super impressive maiden winners coming out of Saratoga, and then uh, Brendan Walsh's Maxfield. I think that's a horse that uh, you certainly need to keep an eye on when you, when you're looking at this race.
0: I love Gouverneur Morris in here, and I don't hate the outside draw, if only because of the options it will give Javier Castellano. And with the speed and just general physical impressiveness that this horse had on debut, I was thinking would be tactical enough to find the right spot, fast enough to potentially go forward in the unlikely event that others don't, but I was just thinking that the combination of the rider and the tactical speed should be able to get a good spot and negotiate what could be a difficult trip. And sometimes we see the crowd overreact to these outside posts and maybe give it too much credence and you get a little bit better price than than you might have otherwise. So I'm really curious to to, uh, see how he handles proceedings. And it sounds like uh, from what you're hearing on the inside, Sean, it's, it's all systems go. The horse is training well into the race.
1: All systems go. He is. Uh, he arrived at Keeneland, I believe, this morning. Works after the race have been very good. You know, certainly he's out of a a, a very a, a good producing mare. She produced a, a horse called Final Jeopardy, who was just placed in a Grade Three this past weekend. So she can produce Grade stakes level talent. And look, his sire Constitution is is one of the hottest young sires in the country. And and he was a horse that did his best running around two turns. So uh, we're, we're fully expecting this horse to only be better around two turns. He's going to love the distance. He's bred for the distance. And, and I agree with you. He definitely has the tactical speed and breaks well enough from the gate as he has in his breezes and from in his first race. As you said, you can you can make too much out of the post, which I believe I can't remember. Did Nike, what did Nyquist end up paying or going off at? He, he drew the far outside in the uh, in the uh, Breeders' Cup Juvenile of the Year. It was here at Keelan. He stayed in the clear, and that's a lot of times the best thing, especially for these young horses. You keep him in the clear, don't let them eat dirt, and uh, they can overcome the wide trip more so on talent, I think, as, as two year olds, as opposed to when you get to the older horses and, and, and the talent is not separated as much from top to bottom. I think, you know, when, when we get to these two year old races, sometimes uh, the talent can, there can be a big divide in talent from the, you know, and throughout the entire field in these baby races.
0: Yeah, and also development, right? You will you can sometimes even just see it in the paddock. You see a lot more standouts. In my view, you see a lot more physical standouts in younger races just because horses are in different points of their development. And he, to me, looked ahead of the game with still room for improvement when I saw him in Saratoga. And again, just from a handicapping point of view, the more speed there is, if it's a bunch of horses that all look to me like they're going to go about the same pace early in a race, I worry more about the outside post, but the more speed there is, the more I feel good about that outside post and just that idea of giving the rider options, especially a rider like Javier. I think he's very good making those split second (laughs) decisions. All right. Let's move this conversation to the Champagne at Belmont. It goes as race number 10 on Saturday. We'll cover this also in our Naira Betts show on the In the Money Media Network. Matt Vagvolgi, contest player, will be joining me to go over the late pick five. That show will be up later today. But Sean, uh, you know, lots of familiar names in here. Tis the Law was one I know a lot of people, including uh, Maggie Wolfendale, when I talked to her about the two-year-olds who impressed her at Saratoga. Tis the Law was at or near the top of the list. I can't get away from Greenlight Go, of whom I'm a very, very big fan. Very curious to hear what you have to say. I mean, because those aren't the only two options in here by a long shot. Lots of possibilities in this year's Champagne.
1: This is, albeit a, a, a smaller field than the other races we've talked about, this certainly is is a race where I, I can pinpoint three horses that I think could be absolute monsters moving forward. Um, starting with with three technique, a horse that we've talked about plenty on on this show. Um, he has all kinds of talent. His running lines have certainly been extremely formful. He's uh, every race he's run, he's run into another premier two-year-old. You know, Basin's one we talk about, and he when. And in his race that he broke his maiden, he was ultra impressive again. So this is a horse that I'm, I'm, I I give a lot of respect to, uh, and I think he's a very talented horse. Now, Tiz the Law was one of the most impressive maiden winners I think in Saratoga. I think it was 91 buyer that he, that he ran. He's going to love going a mile being by Constitution. I have a Tiz now mare. I love his draw on the outside. He got a little bit of sore shins, is what I hear after after his race. In Saratoga, that's why he missed the hopeful. But I think you also have to, you know, Barkley Tag, how many times does he win with a first-time starter? And this horse is New York bred. could have taken the him given the race for the present, which would probably be the three-to-five favorite against the New York bred two-year-old group in, in their restricted stakes race. So that tells you what kind of confidence I think you, Barkley Tag has in this horse. And certainly, Greenlight Go, he showed his ability, not only winning his maiden here at Belmont, so he has a race over the track, a win over the track, that was a very good maiden race came back and ran very good in his race in Saratoga would have been the horse that I would have picked in the hopeful if he were to run but scratched due to race racetrack conditions so uh this horse gonna love a mile the way he flattened out when his stakes race the further this horse goes the better he's in a great barn of Jimmy Jerkins so um this horse, you know, this this is the horse that you, you have to circle that, that if he stays together and Jer- with Jimmy Jerkins and his patience and his ability to get horses to, to go around the ground, um, he's one that I, I think could be a big factor next spring. Uh, among many of these other ones we've talked about, it's going to be a showdown be- between those three. And I think it's going to be, we saw some great races last year, by, or I mean last, last weekend between some some unbelievable talented older horses and uh, I'm I think this race is going to be one of those those races that uh, you talk about and and quite Quite frankly, I mean, if, if a horse wins this very impressively with a good number, this might be your Breeders' Cup Juvenile favorite coming out
0: of this race. That's right. When you look over these races, you could see a world in which a Gouverneur Morris or a Greenlight Go just airs, and then all of a sudden it's a three-horse discussion for who's going to mm-hmm. be that favorite. The thing I like from a handicapping point of view in here is the, the trip that I think Greenlight Go is going to get. I think he's going to be able to sit just in behind the speed Uh, And, you know, and that speed could be, uh, could be truculent. It could be Godzilla, who we didn't even talk about, who was another impressive maiden winner, could be, could be tis the law. And I think has just shown that ability to finish I'm a big green light go fan and just for those who might not know when Sean says he likes the outside draw for Tis the Law and we talked about not liking the draw in the outside draw in the other race that it, I'm assuming you're saying that because it's the difference between a two turn race and a one turn race and the the Belmont mile being one turn and also the shorter field, both reasons why that that could be an advantageous draw for Tis the Law, who on talent very well could just beat these all. But I, I'm sticking with my guns and green light go. Did I analyze that correctly in terms of uh, the Tis the Law draw?
1: Absolutely. Obviously, the shorter field. You know, if it was a seven-horse field in the futurity, you'd have no problem being the seven-horse in that kind of field going into the first turn. You'd actually be delighted. But the majority of this is due to it being one turn. You really get the option. You're, you're you're probably you're gonna have the ability. You're not gonna have to worry about getting sandwiched between horses. You're gonna have the option to see what's going on inside of you. Do you, do you go? Do you do you tuck in behind? So so I that you you do have that analyzed correctly there. Um, and and just to follow up on not discussing Gazella, he really is the biggest question mark in the whole field. Super super impressive maiden race, and was quite disappointing in the hopeful. So was that due to track conditions? Did he just not like that kind of sealed, sloppy type of track? Or was he a horse that, that against, you know, made in company, was it a weak field? Did he, Was he just the, the best? But he ran such a good time. So he really is the question mark here. And believe I don't believe there's any weather in the forecast in New York. So we, we will see see if he has the ability to reprove himself. as as one of the top two-year-olds. He's going to have to do that stretching out, too, and, and that's another question mark. It's just maybe too many question marks there for me with that horse, and and too many positives with the, with those other three horses that we discussed.
0: That's it. It's just the, the, such a deep field. Uh, for me, there's other places to go, but would another big run shock me? No, it wouldn't shock me. It just probably wouldn't be with my money, but I'm eager to see what happens. Getting very excited about this weekend, talking over these races. A closing thought from you, Sean, before we let you go and bring in JK and Tom Ryan.
1: Just looking forward to the meet. Excited to have racing right here where, where there's it's always a good excuse to to get out of the office and do your business over at keeneland with live racing and uh everybody you know everybody finds their way over there you get to see a lot of people that you know that you don't always get to see throughout the year because their farm is 45 minutes away from from your farm and, and so it's just a great place where where friends get together and and share the love of horse racing and uh i'm pretty excited about it and, and excited to have you in town and and see your genteelness at its finest.
0: (laughs) I may even have to throw on a tie, Sean, just so I can rub elbows with you and your fancy friends. What do you think?
1: (laughs) I'm sure they have one there for you if you don't remember (laughs) it. (laughs) Well, <laughs> you got that's the other thing to remember is they have one there you can put on you don't have to go spend the 75 dollars in the in the gift shop on a tie
0: hey man tie. i was i was at royal Ascot. i've got i've got an array <laughs> of fancy racing ties just dying for an opportunity to be taken out of the mothballs so we can go and, and you ha- and
1: you have your jacket available
0: <laughs> that will be staying home no doubt about it all right let's go on to our guest And now I'd like to welcome to the In the Ring Pedigree podcast, Tom Ryan of SF Bloodstock. Tom, how are you today?
2: Good, guys. How are you? Thanks for having me on.
0: Oh. Things are going really well. We're super excited about the start of this Keeneland meet, super excited about the Breeders' Cup and the excitement building for that event to a fever pitch, in part because of the prep races from last weekend. And I wanted to talk to you about a horse that you're involved with in eight rings who was so impressive uh, visually and on the clock. Wanted to get a little bit of background from you about this runner and, uh, and how you came to be involved.
2: He's a horse. Clearly, we're very excited about and um, glad everything went according to plan. Last Friday, it was a um, we were th- we got involved in this horse through a syndication model that we 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 first created in Australia with Newgate Farm, um, where syndicates are uh, mainstream and uh, almost everybody owns a piece of a horse in Australia, and we felt that we could adapt the same model to to some of our partners that we had our existing partners in, and and bringing in new partners in america and uh, we put together about 10 million bucks last year and bought about 24 colts and fortunately one of them is eight rings and uh it looks to be the cream of the crop at the moment bob's very happy with him and uh we can't wait for the breeders cup I want to
0: ask about the name. When we first heard the name and first knew about the horse, there was a lot of speculation. Oh, that's how many championships uh, the University of Kentucky have won in basketball. We've subsequently come to hear that it's a reference to uh, Coach Belichick, who, uh, of course, has the eight rings, the two that get me really excited to talk about when he was part of the New York Giants organization, and then the other six. But I wanted to ask how the name came about as a tribute to the coach and, and get a little perspective on that.
2: Yeah, look, absolutely. It's uh, it's one of our main partners and and great friends is uh, Saul Kuman. Um Saul's involved in the deal uh, with Brad Wisebird, and uh, Saul is a very close friend of Coach Belichick. And um, eight rings, it was. Uh, I, we gave Saul three or four horses to name last year, and that was one of the names he came up with. And he's named another colt that we really like, Cape Cod, as well. And we've we've nice. got others as well that, that Saul had uh, had a hand in naming. Tom,
3: you mentioned uh, the group and, and uh, the 24 Colts that you guys got. Um, uh, was Donato Lonnie, we've actually had him on the show before, was he involved in the purchase of all 24 of those? And if that's the case, what, what kind of separates Donato uh, from some of the other uh, bloodstock advisors that you've come across in this game?
2: Look, I've known Donato now for 20 years, and he's one a close friend, and two, he's a guy that I, have the utmost respect for you know his his record speaks for itself. He's um, he, he's just a fantastic human being and, and he works so hard and he's he's just he's almost a savant when it comes to identifying a racehorse. He he's able to see something in horses that I can promise you I can't see. And um, so it's having the likes of Donato, having Bafford there, having Henry Field come up from Australia, Frankie Brothers is on the team via our relationship with with um, Jack Wolf and Starlight. Uh, it's a, it's a great to have a team of knowledgeable people around you. We leave the ego at the door and uh, we, we, we make decisions collectively. And it's wonderful
0: one big difference I see between racing in days of old and current racing is it felt like in the old days there was more ego involved in ownership, wanting to show that your stable had the faster horses and my horses faster than your horse and these days it seems like top operations are much more willing to work together. Uh, why do you think that is?
2: Yeah, I, I think it's, look, it's uh, it's a matter of spreading the risk for some, some of these people. People want to be involved in more horses. It, it's difficult to to find a grade one horse it's very difficult to get to that winner's circle on the big Saturdays and um, you know one, one I heard somebody complain recently that there was too many people in a winner's circle and I, I find that offensive. I mean I think if if that's the complaint they need to make the winner's circles bigger and uh, <laughs> we need we, 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 we need to have as many people celebrating these big wins as possible you know we need to keep this game alive and this is this is one way to do it and um, you know there's less uh, there's less of that kind of old family money out there anymore where it was uh, the Whitney's against the, the Phippses, or, or, or so on and so on, uh, or there's less desire. I think now it's, it's the sport's played a little bit differently. And, uh, you know, even Godolphin is syndicated amongst the brothers of the McToon family and Coolmore is syndicated amongst a group of um, business businessmen that are involved with John Wagner. So I think there's there's... Syndicates are the future, and I think we need to embrace them. And we need to need to get involved and get behind them.
3: Tom, obviously, you guys—you uh, mentioned the 24 Colts, and, and some of the names I think some people will be familiar with. Uh, Mohawk being one of them. Uh, we have a lot of horse players that listen to this this show as well. Uh, who are some of the other ones outside of Eight Rings and Mohawk that you guys are excited about? I think you mentioned Cape Cod. Uh, is there any other ones that you think will be uh, debuting? uh later this year or, or are we making their second starts that you guys are uh, looking forward to seeing run
2: yeah certainly mohawk is is a colt that has a future um, we have a we have a nice colt he's he's over at los Al um called authentic he, he looks like he could be a he could be a colt with some some talent um with a colt called castle and key and uncle Mohorse he's uh he's he's not that far off either you know he 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 should make a start this year um Cape Cod, he's he's a little bit behind. He's had a little bit of a setback, but he's he's a horse with definite ability. Um, we've a, a spice down colt that we've just brought back in called Charlatan, and, Um He's he's a beautiful horse and he showed plenty before. He, he had just a little minor chip that needed to be removed, and we'll um, just give him every chance to be all that he can be. But it's not over yet for sure. We we certainly have some talented horses in the shed row.
3: Now, when you guys started with this operation, was the goal? To see if you could could pluck a few stallions out of those twenty four. Was it to win the Kentucky Derby? Was it to win Grade One races, or was it all of the above? Obviously, or what was the 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 mindset behind the, the type of horse you were selecting when you were looking for those twenty four? Were you looking for all two turn types? uh What was kind of the mindset on what you guys were were, uh, were targeting?
2: Yeah, look, definitely all two turn types, and really trying to focus on dirt racing. Doesn't always work out that way. We've We've already run a few on the turf for one reason or another. But definitely trying to identify a horse that could show up um, the first Saturday of May and definitely trying to find a horse that can be in a stallion barn. At the One one thing we, we, we've done is it's a very neutral group of owners. And, um, it, you know, should we come up with, as we have with eight rings, there's an opportunity for everybody to buy into this horse, like every farm in kentucky um if they're interested they're they're welcome to to take a look at them
0: It's a fascinating way to conduct business, and I do think it aligns with some of the needs that the horse business has in twenty nineteen. Tom, I want to talk to you about your background. And I'll start off with a simple one. What is it about racing in the U.S. that made you want to make your mark in the industry here as opposed to other places in the world where you would lived and worked?
2: The answer is very simple. There's no ceiling in America. You can be all that you want to be. If you're willing to put your head down and you go to work every day. And America America's a great country. Where it's, it's, it's truly the land of opportunity. And, and, and opportunity has been plentiful for me here. Um, I've worked for it, but i I feel I felt in Australia or in Europe for sure that there was a ceiling on uh, as to what I could do or where I could go. It was you know sometimes it's based on you know your family friends or your connections, whereas in America, I really feel they don't care where you went to school or what your surname is or or what your experience is as long as you can do a good job and and outperform
0: your journey to being on the bloodstock side was not a smooth one. Uh, you told a great story in another interview that reminds me of one of the key concepts on this show and that Jonathan and I, we talk about it all the time in life, how sometimes things that are seemingly negative happen and there's a way that you can turn them into positives. I, I feel like you had a an incident with a horse in a barn a few years back yeah. that, that, that was a negative that you turned into a positive. Tell folks that story.
2: It was one of those, Turning points in my career. There's no question. I, I I worked with stallions for the longest time, and I shuttled them across the world from America to Australia and and, and so forth. And uh, I I looked at, I looked after a horse called Woodman, who was uh, at the time a very high profile stallion. He was a sire of sure. Hansel, amongst others, and uh, Basra Sham, etc. So I was very proud to, to to be in charge of him per se. And um, one called. February morning, Woodman and myself had a little disagreement, and uh, he came out the right side of it with uh, <laughs> my right thumb. And uh, fortunately, we were able to reattach my thumb. Oh due my to God. the fact that the, the, the you know the University of Kentucky's um, medical staff were amazing, but the only the only thing I came out of it with was a nickname of Tom Tom. <laughs> but um, it uh, it really was a turning point in my life because it, I I changed my focus obviously from wanting to handle horses to to trying to trade horses. And um, there was a lot of people really helped me along the way. Ashley Ashley Dyten no, and that more she, she gave me a chance to work with Demi O'Burn when Demi came into town. And working with Demi at the time was an amazing amazing challenge but also an amazing experience in that I was around all those really good Mr Prospectors and Danzigs and Seattle flues and at the time Stormcats and what have you. So it really gave me a great experience into those deep families and an understanding for what it really took to make a racehorse. And I went on from there, really. It it was wonderful. I I worked with Pete Bradley then for the next six years, which was an extraordinary experience. And it really taught me lots of disciplines about contractual documentation of deals and so on and so forth and syndication again to some degree. Pete ran a two-year-old pinhooking partnership and There's a lot of things that that, um, I I learned from Pete. And, you know, Pete had a partner called Neil Bowden at the time who introduced me to the whole world of Australian bloodstock, effectively. I had spent time in Australia, but I hadn't actually worked the bloodstock angle there. So Neil was influential also. After about five or six years with Pete, I opened my my own shop and hung out my own shingle and got myself into a... probably a, a pretty big mess i owned a lot of horses in 2008 <laughs> when uh the financial crash oh, just, arrived yeah. and it was a uh a daunting time but somehow or other out of 2008 came 2009 when i was uh contacted by gavin murphy and uh, sf was born and um as i say the rest is history oh, that's
0: great You've had the pleasure of having a lot of great mentors down the years, it sounds like. Is there a particular lesson, though, from your time in the horse business that you feel like you really had to learn yourself?
2: Yeah, <laughs> I really had to learn in 2008 that when I owed the banks a lot more money than I actually I had in bloodstock or cash, I needed to figure out how to double down and, and work my way out of it. It was a it was a uh a daunting experience but it was also I suppose the, effectively the equivalent of going to Harvard in the horse business and <laughs> had to figure out how how to uh how to make it right.
0: What was the key for you? I know I've heard that a lot of uh, businesses, not businesses so much as investors looking to support entrepreneurs, they see somebody having gone through a crucible like that, whether it's a a company that didn't work out or just a difficult time in their business. They actually, some, some investors will see that as a positive to support somebody going forward. How did you turn it around out of that difficult time back in 2008?
2: Yeah, I think I worked harder. I think I worked harder and I believe more in myself than ever. And, um, you know, you stay true to yourself and you stay honest and uh, it, you'll come out the other side.
3: I, I know uh, Tom is a horse player. We can all think of, we can all kind of share that sentiment of, of getting beat up from time to time and needing something to kind of help us rally and bring it back. And a lot of times I can think of an individual horse or or an individual situation that kind of helped me out of that situation. Do you... Can you think to a horse? Is there a specific horse that uh, really kind of turned the tables, or a group of horses that you can that, that uh, we might be familiar with that kind of helped uh, kind of get everything going back in the right direction for you?
2: Yeah, I, I can actually. It was interesting. There was there was a particular mare that at the time I owned was um, I, I own one third of her. Her name was Tears I Cry. I had bought her privately as a yearling for fifteen grand. She was from the family of the Street Crying Shamardal. And, um, you know, we thought we were going to sell her as a yearling very well. And the sales went upside down. Everything went backwards. We couldn't we couldn't sell her, so we had to put her in training. And at the time, we put her in training with a young trainer called Cody Autry. And uh, Cody trained a filly for us to win a stake and to change it up in multiple greatest stakes placed. And we we bred her to Curlin in his first year. I can't remember what his stuffy was. It might have been Sixty or seventy-five thousand, but Tears I Cry walked into that November sale, might have been 2010, I think, and she brought seven hundred and thirty-five thousand or something like that. So that helped turn it around, and I thought that was the best trade I could have made. But the reality, what was interesting about it is her first foal came back and brought seven hundred and ten thousand. <laughs> So but, you know, she ended up being bought, bought by a man from Australia who turned out to be a good friend of mine ever since and uh it was a good story, you know. We we've had some we had some pretty good licks out of the claiming game back along the way and um lots lots of good stories but I I've I've uh I've and sold more slow horses and ones,
3: <laughs> like everybody else. Funny, funny enough, I've, I've done the same when it comes to wagering. <laughs>
2: yeah, there, you
3: the nature, there you go. The
0: nature of the business. Tom, you've lived in Lexington for a long time now, and it seems like a place that you've really adopted as your home. I was curious to get your thoughts about Keeneland as a racetrack, especially for somebody who's uh, seen racing around the world. What, uh, what, about, what makes Keeneland special?
2: Keenon is a very special place. It's got one, it's a great facility, um, and two, it's just got a great vibe around it. You know, it's it's at the most perfect times of the year, springtime when the, you know, it's just starting to warm up and the leaves are coming on the trees, and everybody wants to get out, and you know, girls want to show off their legs again, and uh, guys want to chase girls. And uh, you know, fall is, is, racing here is amazing and it's interesting about sitting here right now. It's 97 degrees today in Lexington, but by the weekend it's supposed to drop down into the 70s. So, you know, we'll get plenty of sunny 70s afternoons here and it's just hard to really find anything better at this time of the year.
0: It really is a great place. We're looking forward to heading out there. I imagine you'll be in one of the fancy areas where you have to wear a coat and tie. Where if J.K. and I try to approach, we are liable to be shot on sight. But maybe you can maybe you can deign to uh, let us buy you a drink somewhere around Keyland at some point this weekend.
2: Uh, I, I I look forward to it, guys. You you do a great job, and it's it's wonderful to see you guys bring. Some of these stories and tales to the to thoroughbred industry, to the horse players and for people to get to understand somebody like me and others, what we do and where we come from. And um, I think it's a great industry. I think it's, it's, we're, we're alive and well. We, we, um, we just need to work together to um, create the network that will create the future.
0: I love that message. Before we let you go, I think J.K. had one more question for you, Tom, and then we promise we'll let you get on with your day.
3: <laughs> yeah, Tom, I just wanted to know, I know obviously the yearling sales are starting and and the Starlight West Venture uh, looks to be going in the right direction from the yearlings that uh, you guys bought previously. Uh, have you guys started to re-up again? And, and how many, uh, many uh, uh, Colts have you guys purchased in this uh, crop yeah. of yearlings?
2: Yeah so currently we have 14 purchases we got two in Saratoga and we bought uh, 12 in Keeneland we found it hard we found it hard you know Sheikh Mohammed when he drops in that big 747 <laughs> he, um, he 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 makes he makes uh, he makes life good for some people and uh, and difficult for others and uh, we felt like we got we we really had to stretch and reach and work very hard to get the 12 we got but that's a good thing, too, right? We, we want to be in a strong, vibrant market. We also want to be able to create the eight rings of the world and the justifies of the world. And be, you know, these are, the, these are the sort of horses that we want to be able to have a marketplace to sell back into. So it's, uh, you can't have it both ways.
0: Makes perfect sense, and we're excited to follow your progress this year and beyond. Tom Ryan, thank you so much for your time today.
2: No problem, guys. I really appreciate it.
0: And that's going to do it for this edition of the In the Ring Pedigree podcast. I want to thank Sean Tugel, Jonathan Kinchen, and, of course, Tom Ryan once again from SF Bloodstock. What a fun visit that was. Most of all, I want to thank all of you, the listeners for making this show so much fun to do and really getting us off to a nice kickstart this year on the In The Money Media Network. Particularly appreciate the listeners to this show, many of whom are Lexington residents, and I'll get a chance to see this weekend, which I'm really looking forward to. This show's been a production of In The Money Media. In The Money Media's business manager is Drew Coatney. Our chief creative officer is Jonathan Kinchin. I'm Peter Thomas Fornital. May the hammer drop your way.